scripture lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 4. You'll find it on page 61 in your uh, New Testament. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes in all the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. That was a pretty weak, thanks be to God, guys. <laughs> the word of the Lord. Okay, it's good news. I mean, that's what the whole thing is about. So, yeah, thanks be to God. I, I, evidently, you're not experiencing good news. So let's experience some good news this morning. As we look at this passage, as we think about our lives as the Christian church and as Christians, we are to be good news people. That's our mission. That was Christ's mission. It was all about good news, release, freedom. You know, all the things that, that uh, were embodied in that prophecy in Isaiah 61 is what it was about. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in this passage. And uh, so there's a number of us here who are some biblical historians and uh, biblical, uh, they do a good amount of Bible study, so keep me, keep me honest. Ed, Donna, Nathan, where's Nathan? Oh good, I'm safer actually, because he, he, he really keeps me honest. Uh, and so I can be a little bit safer, I have a little more wiggle room when Nathan isn't in the room. Uh, what's going on here is... Um, Jesus um, had, after his baptism, uh, and then he went, and he, uh, he went into the desert. And there was a time of testing to confirm his call and his anointing. And then he did some various works in the, in the region. Uh, and uh, all of this was leading up to this point where he comes back to his hometown. You know, one of our own making it big. They'd heard about him. And everything that was going on was surrounding him. And he was going to be in the synagogue today. I'm going to church today. We got, we got our, our own. He's come back. And he's making good. We've heard all about him in the region. He's doing all kinds of wonderful things. There's something about him that's different. So he gets into church that day. And they hand him the scroll. That's the process where um, it's the person who's going to be taking the lead in that service. And they give him the scroll, and he chooses 
a passage of scripture to read. And it's from Isaiah 61. And it's in verses uh, 18 and 19 of that passage where it says, and so everybody is, you could hear a pin drop that day. He unrolls the scroll, and he began to teach uh, there in the synagogue, and he, and he um, well, he began to say, he unrolled, unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written, and there's Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what, then, what did he do then? I don't think he was a very good preacher because he didn't expound for <laughs> hours. You know, he's not in my tradition. He sat down. He rolled it up, sat down, and said, this is it. This is happening. In fact, it's happening right now. The Lord has anointed me, and what you're seeing, you're seeing it. You're seeing this take place. Now, I don't know if you know what the, what the first century Jews were thinking about when they heard that. What were they thinking about? Any, Ed or Donna? What were they thinking about? Isaiah 61 is about the who? The Messiah. And they were all wanting the Messiah to come and release them, to help them, to save them from who? The Romans. So he was reading a passage with, they would say, oh great, it's good news. But then he said something a little bit different about this good news. He was saying that it was, it was for the poor, which is that passage, and the oppressed. And they lumped themselves in there. But then he started to say, but it's for everyone. And in fact, it's for the Romans too. Can't have that. You know, we, we want what we want. When we want it, and uh, you know us and them, the insiders, outsiders, this is for me, this is for us, and they're gonna get theirs. That was what the that's what the people of Israel were saying was this is when the time everything was gonna be made right, and our enemies will get theirs. And Jesus didn't have that part of the good news. He excluded it. And he actually gave them a warning. He says, if you don't understand this good news and that it's good news for all, what's going to happen is, uh, remember when the prophets were first rejected and the good news came to the, uh, to the people, the, the folk rejected it and rejected the anointed and it went to those who were on the outside. And they got the good news. Oh, boy. That, that did it. So good, you know, the hometown boy made good, but then was shaking things up. So that's what we're dealing with this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of this passage, but also help us to understand what it means for us. 
for our church, for my Christian walk and my life today. And how will this change us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I saw a card. Well, actually, it wasn't a card. It was on the menu in a, in, a, uh, in a restaurant. And it was the mission statement of the restaurant, what its purpose was. We see that. Um, you know, every, every school has a mission statement, you know, on how it gets accredited. Ma uh, there's national bestseller declares that individual effectiveness will only come to those who struggle to draft a personal mission statement. Mission statements are an important thing, aren't they? For an organization, even for our lives, to say, what am I about? That day, Jesus gave his mission statement. In the hometown of uh, uh, the synagogue of Nazareth, Jesus used a section of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, for his mission statement. And since the church is the body of Christ, and we are, tr are we true to his mission? Is our mission statement a reflection of the one we follow? Is it that way as a church? And is it that way as Christians? Are we reflective of that mission? Now, the first thing I'd like to talk a little bit about that we can get confused about. Luke, the uh, apostle, uh, I mean the uh, writer, Luke, uh, emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit all throughout the, uh, that, uh, his book. Everything is about the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts focuses on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Fulfilling the commission of the church depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus even said, okay, you go to Jerusalem, you wait there. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses here in Samaria and throughout the whole world gives the Great Commission, and it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. We like to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because it's a reality, it's authenticity. We know that God lives and is real, and we like to feel what the Methodists would call strangely warmed because it means that I'm in touch with something. Presbyterians, oftentimes, we get hung up on, on head stuff. We need to have head and heart. You know, We need to have the... The, the scriptures, but we need to have the heart part of this too. And we like that, and we understand that. So when we hear about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them in that moment, uh, in that moment, we, we picture that. And we normally think of the Holy Spirit. How do, we, is the Holy, how do you think about the Holy Spirit? Fire. Consciousness, is it usually also when you read about it and about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's usually a pretty dramatic event, isn't it? You know, it's pretty, boom, the Holy Spirit comes. You know, or when we say, boy, that person is inspired. That was an inspired performance. An artist or a musician gets up and, and it just looks, they take over. They were, they were um, you know, you, you go, man. They were inspired. There was a burst of inspiration that took over them. And it seemed as though, you know, I, I love to see a great musician like an Itzhak Perlman or a Yo-Yo Ma, where all of a sudden there is a relationship between instrument and musician, 
that just transcends the notes on a page. And they're captured. And you could say, the spirit, they're in the spirit. Oh my goodness. Athletes are kind of the same way. Where they don't, you know, okay, I need to go on a, a route, for example. The, uh, well, I'm going to say, maybe I better not use him as an example. I was going to use Jerry Rice, and that's a 49er, so you can't do that. Uh, but that was in the old days. That was, uh, oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, or those that are really were great route runners and receivers. Fluid. I, I, even back in the day, Lynn Swan of the uh, of uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers was so fluid and artistic. You know, you didn't say, "Okay, you go down ten yards, you make a right turn," but it was just he had the intricacy and the fluidity, and and it takes over, and it almost becomes artistic. It almost becomes beautiful, and um, in a way that is. Boy, they played an inspired game today. Um, we see that with athletes. We see that with artists. We also often think of this burst of inspiration. Inspiration. You know, we kind of use that word loosely because we imply that it's something just came over them. But we really know that it doesn't happen that way that the brilliant athlete has, has spent plenty of time in discipline and training. And, uh, and hour and after hour and week after week, the musician works at the craft. My, probably the greatest musician that I've heard that I knew about that process was my brother. He was a, a great concert pianist, studied at the Peabody Institute. And uh, I heard a great performance that he did uh, um, with a, he played in the National Cathedral. But I knew the hours upon hours of practice that that took. And, and you know, you see his, his hands would just glide and flow in an inspired way across the keyboard. But he had small hands, so I would see the hours he would do pressing against the, the instrument, stretching his hands, stretching his fingers, and the hours in intricacy. So it just, it just, it doesn't happen that way. There's discipline, hours of practice, perfecting the technique so that it then looks inspired, but actually is the fruit of long and patient hard work. When we said Jesus... Uh, when Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke was already let us in on the secret. That we look at the years of his preparation, his life of prayer leading up to his baptism, the confirmation of his vocation, the testing in the wilderness, then at last going public with an early ministry and deeds in Capernaum. And then he comes to Nazareth. And now with years of prayer, and thorough study of, the, of God's word behind him, he stands before his hometown. And he knew everybody there, and they knew him, and he preached like a man inspired. So when we think of the Spirit, oftentimes we just think that it's 
something that will happen. But oftentimes, discipline, the discipline of a disciple, putting ourselves in places where we pray and take time to pray and to read God's word and to come to worship and to praise and adore, that's the work of the Spirit to which then we become people who can be inspired and inspiring. See, uh, power can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. Energy in a 10 gallons of uh, gasoline can be released explosively with a lit, lit match or it can be channeled through the car engine and used to transport a person many, many, many miles. This is the spirit working in the church and Christians. You know, sometimes we think of Pentecost. There's that burst, a lit flame to the gallons of gasoline. But then the work of the church can be the spirit working through, through worship, through fellowship, through service, where we tap into a lasting power, a lasting inspiration. So that's one of the things that I wanted us to focus on when we see the Spirit of the Lord was upon me. I, I, it, sometimes spirit talk can be very mysterious and can be so ethereal and so misty. But it's really our worship together, our study of God's Word together, our prayer together, and then within our own lives that can create an energy and a power that is inspiring. It can make a difference. So that's the first thing that I think. The church works by the Spirit. Jesus talks about the Spirit, and Luke is really talking about the life of the Spirit. So if we want to be part of Christ's mission, we need to tap into that power. We need to allow and spend times of prayer. Now, one of the things that we just did um, with, uh, uh, I gave as a Christmas gift to um, very, uh, to my elders, my deacons, and our, our staff are what are called Protestant prayer beads. Now, you go, oh my goodness, how Catholic can you be? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we think of the rosary, right? Yeah. Right. Well, these are Protestant prayer beads. Uh, they've been around for quite some time through the Anglican Church, uh, but then also various other traditions in terms of a discipline of prayer. And that's all this is. Um, we had these kits, and we made these together. Does, who has theirs with them? There we go. Uh, raise it up. There we go. Heather's got one. Yeah, okay. And, uh, Sandy made one. Christy made one. There we go. Linda, we're working on, on prices is, is, is in the making, <laughs> shall we say. The, the idea of this is there's nothing magical about this. It's simply a device to help us discipline ourselves to be people of prayer. That's all it is. If all this does is, is in your pocket and during your day you touch that and it reminds you to be a person of prayer, it's done its work. The Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing want to stress on all of our leadership, all of those who serve uh, in leadership, staff, elders, deacons, that to make a difference, 
We have to be people of prayer as we serve. It's the inspiration, it's the power by which we serve faithfully. And it's the same way with that with Christians. It's, um, and there are various ways in which this can lead us into prayer and into a disciplined life of prayer. So that was the kind of the first thing uh, I wanted to talk about. Then the next thing I wanted to say as I look at this passage and this mission statement and that it says that the church proclaims good news. Proclaim. Now there's a lot in that word. We normally think of somebody who preaches. Is, uh, are all of us proclaimers? Are all of us preachers? No. So I, I want to stretch that word to say we all to embody, to proclaim, to share good news. That means something very significant. It means Christianity is not for me. And it's not to remain for me. It's to be the Christian faith and our mission statement pushes us out of ourselves to another. It's proclaiming good news to another person. Whether that is, and it's serving, and it's pushing us away out of ourselves, out of our church, out of our comfort. You know, if we're coming to church for ourselves, we miss the point. Actually, we come to church for other people. We come to church for out there. Our mission means that we need to move beyond ourselves. S the Spirit is not my personal possession. The Spirit always moves me out of myself to another person. It pushes us outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zone, outside of our church walls. It pushes us. The Christian faith and church is not a place where I can get my spirituality fix for the week. It's not a place where I come to be entertained. It is not a place even where I come to be inspired unless that inspiring moves me outward. The Spirit of God is upon us through prayer, study, worship, even fellowship. We think oftentimes about these activities are for us. They really shouldn't be. It's all missional. It should be pushing us out. And we should ever be thinking about who I need to share this with. We are blessed all with all the riches that Christ said in this mission. We have kept, uh, we've been released. We, we know hope. We know peace. We, all of it. We are saved to save. We are blessed to be a blessing. There are no Christian sponges in the kingdom. We don't come to church to soak it all in. If we do, what happens is a prophet like Jesus comes in and rings us out. And we don't like it. We need to be wrung out sometimes. We've gotten too absorbing it all. It's all for me. 
I need to go to church. I need to go to a church where I can be fed. That's such a common statement. I need to, we go church shopping, don't we? Where I can fill my needs. That's not the mission of the church. It's always outward. It's always outward. And it should change us and how we live our lives. Now, say, how do I proclaim? It change, if we are reminded, and that's what also these are, uh, are good for, is to reminded that we have been saved, that we know release, we have hope, God cares. And I carry that everywhere. That I have grace to share grace. It changes the way you leave the parking lot. And this is where Jerry and I, we've talked about this before. If it doesn't change how, you know, sometimes we, we are greatly inspired, but then we're di different people when we get out to the parking lot and we get out onto the highway. Boom! Immediately go back to the hard world in which we live. And we become very ungracious. I have always said, it's hardest for me to be a Christian uh, behind the wheel. And that's oftentimes, too, what, what uh, our commuter communities do to us. Is it separates ourselves and we are focused on point A to point B and we don't see the world around us. You know, the, the world around us has overwhelmingly bad news all the time. I don't have to tell you that. We are the good news, are to be the good news to that world. We are to be the good news Christians and a faith community that is good news. Blessed to be a blessing. You know, it's often been said, it's, it's a complex, messy world. Life for many still matches the famous description of the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, who spoke of it as this, life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Others, especially in our developed world, like us, experience life as a frenzy of busyness, never-ending to-do lists, with periods of pleasure sandwiched between hard work, money worries, and the ever-deferred question about what life is really all about. And yet it is into this world, says Luke, the gospel writer, into this crazy, complex, sometimes wicked world that good news comes. And we are to be that good news. We are to embody that good news. Um, and what is that good news? We know where uh, that good news is. Is there any limit to that good news? There's a contemporary songwriter, David Crowder, who writes the song, I Am. And he says this, There is no space that his love cannot reach. There's no place where we cannot find peace. There is no end to amazing grace. We need to be Christians seeking to embody the good news. Today, when we think of the church or where the, the world hears the word church and Christian, it's not good news usually that they think of. It's judgment. It's exclusivity. It's us versus them. We've got to change that by embodying the good news thinking together. How can we do that? How can we embody good news in our neighborhood? 
You need to think about that. How, does good new, how can I embody good news in my family? How can I embody good news in the workplace, at school? And here's the thing, too, that the crazy thing. The church ministers to all people. It's about radical grace. And this was the part that was so scandalous in that situation. The people of Nazareth were astonished that he was speaking about God's grace, grace for everybody that included all people, instead of grace for Israel and the fierce judgment for everyone else. It was grace for all. We, li- we live in a, an extremely angry culture right now, an extremely divided culture right now. That even the gospel is being defined as us versus them. In every context, we need to resist it. We need to resist it. Good news, radical grace for all. The categories of need described in this mission statement describe more than spiritual realities. Physical, social, and emotional ills exist that the church must not ignore. Much to the dislike of the hometown crowd, Jesus included the Romans and Gentiles as recipients of God's favor, God's love. The church's mission extends to every person, every need. Let's be the kind of Christians and the kind of church that reaches out to every person, every family, and make a difference in Christ's name.